Corinthians chapter 6. Alrighty, this is one of those messages. Thoroughly enjoyed it as, as going through it. It's a great chapter here. And really, really neat points about stuff. And we get to some pretty famous verses at the end. I'm sure that you've all heard before. But uh, we've got to build up to that point. So without much further ado, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 1. It says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we command ourselves as ministers of God. Now this verse really hit me, because did you catch verse 1? We then, as workers together with him. One translation translated as, as partners. Do you realize we get to work with Christ to spread the gospel to the world? That is an amazing concept when you stop and think about it. It's amazing that God himself chose to use us as vessels to spread the gospel. This is not a pride thing. This is a shock thing. God chose to use us to help spread the gospel of Christ. He, he could have done any way. He's God. He could have used any type of form or medium that he wanted to use, but the way he chose to spread the gospel is to go ahead and use us. And not just use us, but he works together with us. Now, to us, that doesn't sound like that big a deal because we don't think we're all that bad. If you look in the spiritual mirror and compare yourself and to Jesus, there's really not much of a comparison. So for God to say, I want to work with you to help spread the gospel, that's amazing. And, and to be quite honest, I think it's something that heaven even gets a little surprised about. There's a really neat verse in 1 Peter chapter 1 where it talks about how angels desire to look into this. Angels want to look into this whole concept of salvation and what it means. And, and I guess as Christians, I look at this and I say, let's not take this for granted. Jump back one chapter to verse 20 of chapter 5. It says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. So last week we talked about that word ambassadors. God chose us to help represent Him. Once again, that's mind-blowing of itself. Now going one step further, verse 1 of chapter 6, He doesn't just choose us to represent Him, He decides to come along and work with us. So the next time you sit there in life saying, what is my purpose? Why am I here? God has chosen you to represent him and to work alongside of you to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is your purpose in life. If you ever sit there and say, well, no one cares, no one understands, why am I here, the whole whatever, God says you have a plan, you have a purpose to spread the gospel, and you get to work alongside the Lord to do that. Paul realizes the big deal about this. That's why he says he pleads with us, in verse 1, to not do this in vain. An emptiness, a meaninglessness. You know how many times we see Christians, they almost have to have a whole home relationship with the Lord? They've taken for granted their walk with God. And this happens a lot. This happens a lot where people get saved, and let's just be honest, they walk with the Lord for a while, next thing you know, it just kind of becomes old half. kind of becomes, once again, the whole hum you take for granted what God has done for us. That's why Paul is pleading in verse 1 to not let it be done in vain. Now, we've used this point out here numerous times. If there's a chance that it could be done in vain, that's why God put it in the Bible. He said, don't do this because he knows what happens to us. We can take for granted our walk and our salvation. Hence, verse 2, the day of salvation. See, we need to, as Christians, get back to this idea of what the big deal is to be saved and born again in Christ. Because there's a world out there that's dying, literally, in front of us, spiritually. Pretty filled Revelation chapter 2. This is one of the questions I get a lot. I get questions a lot of how do you re-spark your walk with the Lord? Revelation chapter 2. And there may be some of you out here that are sitting and listening to this and you're thinking, okay, that's me. 
<clears throat> I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It's important to me. I get it. But I'm kind of starting to feel a little dry spiritually. I'm feeling dry in my witness. I'm feeling dry in what I do. I'm feeling dry in what I say. I kind of got that ho-hum thing going with my walk with the Lord. Well, look at Revelation 2. And how do you get that fire reignited? Revelation 2. And let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 2. It says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those that say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, have not become weary. Now, that describes, I hope, a lot of us here. We, we, we have a good work ethic for the Lord. And I hope that when the Lord would come down and look at us, He would say, verse 2, I see your works, I see your labor, I see your light, I see your witness, that you're persevering. But even in the midst of all these compliments, look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. We've said this a lot out here. Sometimes people get so busy serving God, they forget why they're serving God. So people get so caught up in the idea of, of church and ministry that it almost becomes second nature to them, and they really lose that real relationship with Christ. They leave their first love. Have you guys ever got that spot? I've gotten that spot spiritually where you're almost just going through the motions. You're getting up, you're reading, you're praying, you're serving, you're witnessing, you're sharing. Yeah, you're doing everything right, but yet you stop and you say, why, why am I really doing this? Well, what's the answer? Well, the answer is found in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That lampstand represents your light and your witness. There's a lot of people that have lost their witness with the Lord because, to be honest, they've just become so, dare I say, callous in their walk with the Lord. Think back, as it says right there in verse 5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. I always tell people when they come up with this, I always say, when was the time in your life that you were most on fire with the Lord? Well, think about what you were doing at that time and go back and do it. It's amazing how simple that concept is. For me, the time I was most on fire with the Lord is, um, it would have been uh, about six months after I got saved. And I was going through discipleship with uh, Richard and Betsy, um, I was getting up early. I remember I was getting up early before I had to leave and just remember doing this study, a Chuck Smith study through the book of Isaiah. Still one of the best studies I've ever did. Had this time of prayer. Um, you know, it was just this wonderful time of just quietness with God. And I remember I just grew so much and learned so much and really just had that one on one time with the Lord. What happened? Well, a lot of things happened. Soon after that, I started dating Dawn and she just sucked Jesus right out of me. Um, <laughs> Actually, in all seriousness, what happens is I did start dating Dawn. And what happens is you go from having this emptiness that only God can fill to now, hey, life ain't that bad. And that, isn't that what happens in life? Generally speaking, the time you're closest to the Lord is really when you have absolutely nothing else but God. You've got nothing else to do but to read and pray and study. You don't have kids running around. You don't have to work the extra hours at work. You don't have this going on afterwards. It's just you and the Lord. I was talking to somebody recently. And they're kind of going through a, a tough time. And uh, she was telling me how there's a lot of loneliness. And there's a lot of just quiet time with nothing going on. And I told her, I said, hey, that's actually a great time to have a lot of prayer and Bible study. Yeah, but I want to do something. You can do something. Prayer and Bible study. Because you know why there's going to come a season in life where it's going to be so crazy that you're going to be clawing to find time with God. Now you have that quiet time with the Lord. Take advantage of it. And so are you feeling a little dull and you're a Christian walk? Well, let's just get back to the basics. What did we just read there? Your purpose in life is to spread the gospel. I don't say this in a convicting way. I don't say this as a, as a way to trump anybody. But when's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Talk about a way to really ignite yourself and get excited. Share the gospel. Boy, that would get you pumped up. 
Find and pray for an opportunity to say, Lord, I want to get out there and show somebody the love of Christ. I want to really have a good chance to share the gospel with somebody. Boy, that will get you excited. Number two, think back to spiritually. When were the times that you were growing the most? When was the time your marriage was strongest? When was the time that you had that most excitement in the Lord? Go back and do those things. I'm willing to bet at your strongest time spiritually. You're probably active in church. You're probably praying and you're probably reading. It's amazing what those things do. Well, what happens when you don't want to do those things? Let's just be honest. I don't want to repeat the whole point from last week, but last week we talked about that spiritual force feeding. Sometimes you just got to set the alarm, get up, and do it. Because as you ingest more of God and as you take in more of time with prayer and word, it creates in you a spiritual hunger, and as that hunger is created, you want and desire it more. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said. So if you're feeling a little dry, share the gospel. If you're feeling a little dry, force feed yourself spiritually. Boy, that excitement will come. It will eventually come, and you will just grow, and you will have this excitement for the Lord again. Because we care. Look at verse 3. You want to care about your witness with the Lord. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. You don't want to be the lukewarm Christian. There's tons of lukewarm Christians out there. There's plenty of them. Don't be the lukewarm one. Don't be the one where somebody can look at you and pick you apart spiritually because you're so much into the world that Christ is not even in there anymore. But as it says right there in verse 4, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Now this is a little pet peeve of mine. When you hear that term minister, most of the time what you think about are, are pastors. And if, if I came up to you and said, you know what, are you a minister? Most of us would probably say no. But that word minister really just literally means servant. And one of the little phrases we like to use out here at church is every member is a minister. Everybody has a role in the body of Christ. And I just want to read with you this, this little thing that really hit me. This And this is where that phrase came from. It says, when a small percentage of the body labors to do a large percentage of a ministry, the plan and purpose of Christ for the body is compromised. In subtle ways, the church has historically encouraged the idea that there are some who hold special claim to the title minister. But the New Testament teaches that every member is a minister. The term should never be limited to one particular group of ministers who are perhaps more appropriately called pastors. It falls that if every member is a minister, every member has a ministry. The body of Christ will never know how great its potential ministry effectiveness can be until all its members are functioning in their own areas of ministry. Let's just be honest. If you're feeling a little ho-hum spiritually, next question I would ask you after witnessing, after spiritually having time with the Lord, next question I would say is where do you minister for the Lord? Where are you serving? And this is not a, a time to say we need help in the children's ministry or sign up to clean the church. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to plug that. But we do need help in the children's ministry. And if you want to clean the church, that'd be great. Point, though, is where are you serving? Where, where is that aspect of ministry of where you say, okay, I'm just not coming to be fed. I'm coming now to bless people and to go deeper in that. Paul starts out this chapter by saying you work with Christ. You get to spread the gospel, your salvation. Don't take it for granted. Don't, don't be vain about it in the sense of look at it meaningless. Realize you are a minister for the Lord. And what a blessing that is. What a great intro to what he wants to say next. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about this before we move on with the rest of it? Alrighty, now that we laid that groundwork, what does he want to say next? Well, now it's not as much fun. Second half of verse 4. We're ministers of God in much patience and tribulations and needs and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and fastings by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, 
as unknown and yet well known, as dying, behold, we live, as chastened, chastened, excuse me, chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Follow Paul's logic here with this, if you will, please. First, verses 4 and 5, it's bad. There's no way around that. When you sign up to be a minister of Christ, a servant of the Lord, you're going to go through verses 4 and 5. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have needs. You're going to have distresses. You're going to have stripes, imprisonments. You're going to have labors. You're going to have sleeplessness. You're going to have fastings. It is tough being a Christian. I, I have no idea how the concept of Christianity and now has almost become this rose garden thing of, oh, get saved, and your life will be perfect. Your, your life is perfect because you have Christ, but as soon as you get saved, it's tough being a Christian. How many of you came in here tonight, verse 4, and you are in tribulation? You're in need. You're distressed. You're, you're battling spiritual, emotional, physical stripes. There, there is labor and sleeplessness in your life. It's tough being a Christian. Jesus said the road is narrow and difficult and few will find it. I think this is a point of Christianity that we seem to skip over a lot. It is really tough to be a believer, to take a stand. You're going to go through tough times as a Christian. As we said out here numerous times, there's no difference between the storms of life that hit the non-believer that hit the believer. The only difference is the believer has Christ to get him through it. That's the foundation. The same storms will still hit you. Christians still get cancer. Christians still have problems in their marriage. Christians still have worry, fear, and anxiety. We still battle all those things. But did you know the first word that Paul uses is, in verse 4, in much patience. See, before he gets to all the bad stuff, he says, do you, do you have patience for all this? Turn if you go to Romans 5 real quick. Romans 5, please. Romans 5. That word there where it says in patience, some translations have perseverance. It's the same Greek word that we're going to read here in Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 1, please. Romans 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have salvation. Verse 2, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's the good stuff, to rejoice and have hope, and it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. Verse 3, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. See, hold on, verse 3 is where it changes now. We glory in tribulations, why? Knowing that tribulations produce perseverance. That's the same Greek word that we just read in 2 Corinthians 6 about having patience. Those tribulations produce in us patience, perseverance, and perseverance gives us character, and character gives us hope. Now, hope does not dis disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. I want to be careful saying this because I don't want to make it sound like that I've obtained some type of spiritual perfection because I still struggle with stuff. But this is the 12th year I've been out here as the pastor. And the things that used to get to me years one, two, three, four, five, fill in the blank, they still bother me today. But they don't bother me near as much. Is it because I don't care? No, because I've been through this. I've had tribulations which produced patience and that patience has produced character, and that character has produced hope. Rich and I will have conversations where something will pop up out here, and it's a rough one. We'll say, yeah, but you remember five, six years ago, we went through the same thing. God got us through it. Or if something will pop up, it's like, you know what? This is really similar to what we went through a few years ago, and the Lord was faithful and got us through that. We just need to pray that God gets us through this. Because once you've been through it a few times, it does grow in you a character and a hope. And to be quite honest, sometimes I run into people, and, and people will say, well, why do I have to keep going through this? Because you're not passing the test. If you're not passing the test, you have to keep taking the test. We use this example out here all the time about the driver's license. You don't just do your best effort at the driver's license and then you get it. You have to pass the test. 
If you don't pass the test, they make you come back and take the test again. Same thing happens spiritually. Is there something in your life of where, why am I always the one that gets the really nasty co-worker? Because maybe you need to work on patience and love. Why am I the one that always has this happen? Because maybe the Lord is working on you. Those tribulations produce patience, which produce character, which produce hope. I know why the Lord keeps allowing certain things to come into my life. Why? Because I've always failed that test. And God says, James, I love you enough. I want to keep working with you on this. And I want you to become the best believer you can. And you need to be strengthened Excuse me, strengthened in that area. Great verse. If you're taking notes, write this verse down. This is a refrigerator verse. Psalm 27.14. Psalm 27.14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good carriage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's a great verse. Why does God say you have to have patience first? Because let's just be honest. None of us are good at waiting. None of us are good at waiting. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. If you're going through a difficult time right now and the patience is going thin, God, I can't handle this. I can't do this anymore. Psalm 27, 14 is for you. God says, wait on the Lord. What does he say in Isaiah 40? Wait on the Lord and he shall renew your strength. And you shall mount up on wings of eagles and you shall run and not be weary. See, God says, when you wait on me, when you have patience on me, he goes, I give you strength to get through the difficult times. If you do not wait on the Lord and you try to go in your own strength, you're going to wear yourself out and it's not going to work. We wait on the Lord. So when you look at verses 4 and 5 of all the bad stuff, it starts out with patience. But now let's build on this because now we're up to verse 6. So as we do it, as you go through these trials of verses 4 and 5, now look at verse 6. Do you have purity? Do you have knowledge? Do you have patience? Do you have kindness? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have love? See, it talks about what we went through on Sunday. Sunday we, we, we asked this question. It's not how you handle the good things when you're a Christian. It's how do you handle adversity when you're a believer. We all handle the good things of life great. You have a great day at work. You're not going to come home in tears to your spouse saying, I can't handle this anymore. You're going to say, I had a good day. How do you handle adversity? How do you handle tribulations? Well, verse 6 tells us you're supposed to handle it by, with purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, and love. Well, how in the world am I supposed to handle that way? Because you have verse 7. You have the word of truth, the power of God, the armor of righteousness. See, you have to work backwards. Okay, Lord, I'm going to have tribulations. And when I have tribulations, I want to have verse 6. I want to have kindness, the Holy Spirit, and love. How in the world do I have that? Well, you get it by having verse 7. Are you in the Word? Do you have the armor of righteousness on? Because if you don't have that, you're not going to be able to get through your tribulations. And what comes out of these tribulations? Well, verse 8, honor, dishonor. Evil report, good report. Deceiver is true. Now, why does it say that in verse 8? Because what is your reaction going to be when you go through tribulations? You're either going to bring honor or dishonor to the body of Christ. It's either going to be evil or good. Or it's going to be true or deception. Think about that. Every time you go through a tribulation, every time you go through a trial, the world, the co-workers, everybody's watching you. Now, it's either going to be good or evil. How simple is that? It's either going to be honor or dishonor. When you go through trials and tribulations, your reaction is part of your witness to the Lord. And God is saying here in verse 8, is it honor or dishonor? Is it evil or good? Is it deception or is it truth? Because it's going to be tough. Look at verse 10 one more time. As sorrowful, it always rejoicing. See, that, that verse is honest. In this world, you will have sorrow and you will have rejoicing because tribulations aren't fun. Now we all know this. Bring this all together one more time. We're co-workers with Christ. We're ambassadors of the Lord. 
We've experienced salvation. That salvation then encourages us to go out and be a light and a witness. We're all ministers. We all have a ministry. But in that ministry, verse 4, we have tribulation. But during those tribulations that we have, verse 6, we want to respond in purity and knowledge and patience and kindness and the Holy Spirit and love. And the way that I can do that is by verse 7, by being in God's Word and having the power of God and the armor. Because when I go through trials and tribulations, verse 8, I'm either going to bring honor or dishonor to the body of Christ and to God. So what Paul is trying to tell us here in verses 1 through 10, it's not easy being a Christian. It's not easy in any way. But part of our witness is how do we handle those difficult times in life. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about this before we finish up this chapter? Now, the verse that we're going to get to in this last section is one of the most famous verses in all of 2 Corinthians. Look at this. Verse 11 says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, return for the same, I speak as children, you also be open. What Paul is just really saying here, very simply put, is we love you, but you don't love us. He goes, open yourselves up to us. Listen to what I have to say here. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 14 is a very famous verse. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, the main context of that verse, of when we talk about all the time, almost always deals with marriage. That's just one of the most simple, straightforward points in all of Christianity. As a believer and a non-believer should not be getting married. When you have a believer and non-believer getting married, you're just asking for problems later on in life. And this is one of the most simple, straightforward points, but yet it's one of the biggest points that people struggle with. I've shared with this with you numerous times. If someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, I want you to meet my new boyfriend or girlfriend, I will say, great. One of the first questions I'll ask them is, are they a believer? Because that's what matters. That's what matters most is, are they a believer? And it always worries me when I say, well, they're open to stuff. Well, wait till they're saved and then have a relationship with them. Well, but, but he, he or she says they're going to come to church and they're really interested and they ask a lot of good questions. Well, great. Let them keep asking questions. Let them come to church. And then once they get saved, then start dating them. Patience. Love is patient, the Bible says. Well, I love them so much I want to be... Well, that's why love is patient. Be patient to the right with the Lord. Because if you hook up with a non-believer, you're just asking for problems. I always tell people this in premarital counseling. If you're a believer... The Bible says your father is God. If you're a non-believer, the Bible says your father is Satan. Talk about rough in-laws. That does not work. It will not work in any way whatsoever. And what happens is people meet. They have an emotional attachment. He or she is fun. They're fun to be around. Their heart gets attached to them. And eventually they get around to the time of spiritualness. But yet their heart is already attached. And let's be honest, sometimes they're physically already attached. And so when the subject of spiritualness comes up, well, that's third on the wrong. You know, we click together, we have great time together, we're fun together. The whole God thing will work out eventually. And you know what? Let's be honest, sometimes it does work out. I've seen people get saved. But I know there's a, there's a gal out here at church, and she told me, she goes, if you ever have someone who is dating a non-believer, she goes, send them to me. Because she said, I dated a non-believer, I married the non-believer, and she goes, I'm thankful now that my non-believing husband is now a believing husband. 
She goes, but it would have been so much easier if I just would have waited until the Lord worked on his heart. And so what happens is this verse of do not be unequally yoked is one of the most straightforward black and white verses in the Bible, but it's also one of the verses that gets pushed off to the side so much. I cannot stress to you tonight, parents, if you have kids and they are of the dating age or whatever, make sure this is stressed into them. It's believers with believers. Well, I like this guy. I really think he's great. Then love is patient. Be patient until he gets to know Christ personally, and then they can have a great, wonderful relationship. But this passage also carries a much bigger thing than just dating. Because dating is really a 20th century concept. We as Christians need to make sure, are we not yoking ourselves with non-believers? I, I knew a guy one time that was a business partner. He was saved and the business partner was not saved. And he couldn't figure out why they just it wasn't clicking. The business wasn't going the way it was supposed to. There was all these arguments. And he said he read this passage and this passage just totally hit him. He had yoked himself together with a non-believer. And they obviously weren't dating, but they had yoked themselves together with a non-believer. I know people that get saved, and they still want to keep the exact same friends that they had before they were saved. But you're yoking yourself together with non-believers. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't hang out with non-believers in the sense of being a light and a witness, and that it doesn't mean that as soon as you get saved, you just forget everybody in the past. No. But if you spend all your time, and you yoke yourself together with that past lifestyle, you're never going to move forward in your walk with Christ. You are yoking yourself together. Look at verse 14 one more time. Righteousness with lawlessness. Communion with light with darkness. It just doesn't work. Christ with Baal. Baal is another name for Satan. Or what part has a believer with a non-believer? See, verse 16 comes right out and says, You're the temple of God. God has chosen to live in you. That is amazing. I, mean, I think verse 1 is amazing that we get to be co-workers with Christ. Verse 16 is amazing. God chooses to live inside of us. So if God chooses to live inside of us, hence verse 17, God says, I separate you from the world. See, the Bible uses this term saint. Saint is a fancy Greek word, hagios, that just means separated. That's all it is. So when the Bible calls us saints, it doesn't say that we're ultra-spiritual super people. Saints just means you're separated from the world. That's all that word means. And so God says, I have separated you from the world. Verse 18, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive to you. I cannot stress this to you enough. And people come in and say, well, right now I'm dating a non-believer. What should I do? They usually don't like my answer. I usually say, break it off. It's not worth it. Well, that's so hard. It's, I'm sure it's awfully difficult. You have emotionally attached yourself to that person. But if you're in that dating relationship, it's better to break it off now than to have problems later on. And, and, I, and I know I'm preaching to the choir on this, but we all have heard the words, well, he's really going to get serious with the Lord. It's going to work out. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. I always tell him that when it works out, build a relationship. Until that time, you have to be patient and you have to trust God. You have to trust God, verses 14 through 18, that he says it's not worth it. And parents, I know sometimes you're the bad guys for saying, no, that's not the right person, that person's not saved. But you know what? That's one of the most protective things you can do for your kids. It's just not worth it. And even past the point of dating, just in life, don't yoke yourself together with the non-believers. It will come back to cause problems later on. There's no doubt about that. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up with any of this? So, finished up chapter 6. And uh, continuing our study here through Corinthians next week, let's go ahead and word of prayer, and we'll let everybody go. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time tonight. Lord, help us to never take our salvation for 
granted, to, to look at it in, in vainness, Lord, meaningless, Lord. Ignite in us that fire, that excitement of what it means to be a follower of you, Lord. Bring people into our lives that we can be lights and witnesses to. Lord, help us to go deeper in you. Help us to grow deeper in you. And Lord, as we go through tribulations in life, give us strength to be a light and a witness for you because we truly want to serve you in all that we say and do. We lift this up in your name. Amen. If you don't mind sticking around, like I said, we need to split the chairs for the wedding and we need